Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues, and we wanted to talk about the man that put this war in motion, Vladimir Putin. Take a look at how we got to this moment during his more than two decades in power in Russia. Our guest is Dr. Mark Schrod. He is an associate professor of political science at Villanova University. So to start, how would you describe Vladimir Putin? Oh, Vladimir Putin. I mean, th- there's there's so many different ways to go about describing him. Uh, you know, th- there's uh, sort of the <laughs> because of the the variety of hats that he pl- you know puts on uh, the variety of roles, and people tend to focus in on one at the expense of the other. Uh, so, you know, the one that everybody kind of focuses in on is his KGB background, um, and people read a lot into that in terms of being you know sort of this shiftless character or or conniving or uh, you know sort of a, a great strategist. But I think in some ways I would conceptualize him more as sort of a mafia don, right? Um, and I don't use that term lightly, and I don't mean it as, you know, sort of some sort of flippant thing to try to get, you know, uh, you know clickbait or anything along, along those lines. Um, by that, I mean that he occupies a position within the Russian government that is not unlike sort of the structure of modern mafias, right? I mean, it's sort of, you've got a kingpin in the middle and then you've got um, sort of people who are reliant upon him and have proximity to him uh, for their own uh, sort of self-aggrandizement and and their own self-enrichment. And so that's the way, you know, the, sort of the economy is run, but it's also sort of the way the Russian government is run. And so again, I'm not flippant when I'm talking about, you know, sort of drawing parallels with organized crime. Um, but I think there's a, certainly a role for that uh, in, in when describing Vladimir Putin. To that point, can you kind of give us a quick primer of how the Russian government has operated from when he came to power about 22 years ago to now? Because it, it's changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I think you actually could probably go back a little bit further. Uh, you know, you could go back to 1993, which was during the years of, of Boris Yeltsin. Um, and we generally see that as sort of a, a Russia's democratic uh, era throughout the 1990s. Uh, unfortunately, it was also an era of uh, runaway I- inflation. It was an era of economic stagnation, a decade-long economic depression, and it really sullies the idea of democracy uh, in, in Russia. Um, and so, you know, the the institutions are the same. You know, so there, you have this. You know, the institutions they have a sort of a super presidential uh, constitution with. Uh, you know, different branches of government, but most of the political power is held in the executive branch. And one of the things that became very clear, even with this same institutional structure that you had under Boris Yeltsin, is that even though on paper, on the constitution, the executive has a lot of power, that power is still constrained by the will of the people, essentially. Uh, So throughout the, the 1990s, um, yes, on paper, Boris Yeltsin had a very, very powerful presidency, uh, but in reality, he was pulling down maybe 20%, 30% approval ratings. He had no support in the legislation, uh, legislature, uh, and he could not get anything done. And that was part of this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, fast forward to uh, sort of, you know, at the end of the Yeltsin years, um, you know, he's getting older and more decrepit and cannot run again for president in, in 2000. Um, and he sort of, anoints this little known, you know, former KGB 
Aparacic. Uh, first, he anoints him as as uh, prime minister. Seems to be a, a trustworthy guy because, uh, again, Yeltsin was uh, notoriously corrupt and his, his sort of inner circle was corrupt and was looking to hand the reins off to somebody who was at least trustworthy and loyal to him. And uh, KGB guy has that quality to him. So, uh, so hands the reins over to him first as prime minister and then sort of appoints him interim president. Uh, while the rest of the world is worried about Y2K on December 31st, 1999, uh, you know, you have this announcement that, uh, oh, by the way, this Putin guy is going to be your your interim president, and then he wins election and re-election. So, um, so what happens after, you know, the early, I guess the early years, what I would call high Putinism, uh, you know, the early 2000s, this is the era of sort of the, the ratcheting up of the global price of oil. Um, and with that, you know, sort of the boom in the Russian economy. Uh, and and Putin rides this, you know, seven percent uh, growth rates per year for a decade, to just outstanding popularity, right? And so he's genuinely a, a popular figure. And again, by contrast to the the Yeltsin era, where um, you know Yeltsin had no popular supports and could get nothing done, now Putin has widespread popular support and can seemingly do anything he wants with the exact same institutions. Uh, and political institutions that are there. So uh, so it's a weird sort of anachronism about, you know, Russian politics that everybody wants to make these parallels with, you know, the, the Soviet empire or the, you know, the czarist empire before that. But really, you know, to understand sort of the, the autocratic system and Putin's autocratic system, you have to understand that it is still very much premised on the notion of popular sovereignty and trying to, to keep the people supportive of him and maintaining that image of a competent leader. Was it inevitable kind of what we're seeing now uh this invasion of ukraine like were we always going to get here it was just a matter of when under vladimir putin i don't think so and i'll tell you just a quick little anecdote i was teaching uh one of my classes uh yesterday just to on russian politics and i had some some of these old powerpoint slides and, and one of them i had like this embedded video of uh is an a and e documentary back in 2003 Paul McCartney went to Red Square and gave a concert and they did like this whole documentary and then they like infused it with, um, you know, sort of uh, history and background of the Soviet system and all this. And and it was 2003 and at the, at the culmination of the whole thing is this this whole this whole in, in, encounter between Paul McCartney uh, and his wife. Uh, they were active in sort of this anti landmine campaign back then uh, and Vladimir Putin. And so just looking at, you know, and, and I was showing this to my students and they only know. The, the Putin that we know today, right? You know, sort of this this distant, cold, aloof, you know, uh, dictator. Um, they don't remember the, the the Putin of like the early years of, of Putinism, you know, before 2008 or so. Um, and he was outgoing. He was very friendly, uh, very chatty, trying to ingratiate himself with these these foreign guests. And I was trying to explain to my students like this is this is the Putin that we used to have back in the day. It was, um, you know, he was actively trying to become a member of, uh, you know, uh, first the World Trade Organization and uh, and the G8. He desperately wanted to be in sort of that Western group of countries, you know, of, of Europe and and so on. Um, you know, we had this NATO Russia Council that it was very active in as well to try to inc improve relations between. Russia and, and the NATO bloc as well. So um, so I don't think it was there was anything necessarily inevitable about it. Uh, even you know the first eight years of Putinism um, was more of a sort of a, a, a collegial relationship, you know, and, and people kind of forget that after 9-11, you know, 2001, 
uh, the very first person to call George W. Bush and offer his support uh, was Vladimir Putin, right? He was trying to get into our good graces um, and trying to, I think in many cases, you know, get more uh, integration with the West and uh, and have better relations with the West. Um, I really think that kind of turns, um, you know, by a series of events, you know, going back to, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, when you're talking about the invasion of Georgia, the global financial crisis, um, you know, sort of these, these sanctions and counter sanctions, and then really, Probably when when Putin comes back, you know, he spent four years as as prime minister from 2008 to 2012. And when he comes back in 2012, the economy's in the toilet. He can't kind of ride that popularity wave of, you know, look, I've been delivering the goods for you. I've brought stability to our country. I've brought prosperity to our country. Now the you know the the economy is flatlined. And it seems like his base of legitimacy after about 2012 is completely different. And if, you know, I guess maybe we could talk about whether it was inevitable after 2012, but it seems like that's when he starts stoking the flames of, of nationalism, right? And saying that we need to uh, liberate these areas of, you know, the Donbass in, in, uh, in Eastern Ukraine, um, you know, for, for these are Russian speaking peoples and these are Russian peoples. This is part of greater Russian civilization. Um, and I think that's at the point where you start to get this, this turn away from the West. You know, he'd recognize that he was never going to get a seat at the table, you know, with the European Union and, and he's not going to be, you know, as, as welcome as some of these other countries. Um, and so I think after that, that's where things kind of turn really dark and, and really sour when it comes to Putin. You know, I've heard people talk about Crimea, uh, the earlier taking of the two regions in eastern Ukraine, the fact that he was able to make these invasions, make these moves, Georgia, did that strengthen his idea that he can do this and the West may talk tough and maybe they make life a little hard financially, but uh, they're going to let me do what I want to do? I think so. I, I mean, you know, if you if you step back and look at it objectively, you know, Putin's been on a winning streak militarily, right? If you look at the last, you know, not just seizing Crimea without a shot fired, uh, you've got the, you know, those, um, you know, invasions, sort of proxy invasions of, of Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, you've got the you know, 2008 invasion of Abkhazia and South Ossetia in, in the Republic of Georgia. So it looks like militarily he's on a roll. This notion of a united front of you know of, of Europeans and and uh, and NATO and the United States um, was just kind of bound to fail because that's they'd always been wishy washy. I think most people thought that Russia was going to get pretty much what they wanted out of this war and get it relatively quickly. That has not proven to be the case. We are now a month in and things seem to be going, at least to me as a layman, spectacularly poorly for the Russian forces. If it were to come to this, could Vladimir Putin? Knowing what you know about him, his style, everything we've talked about, would he be able to accept defeat? Um, I have a hard time answering that, but I, I don't think that he can. Um, and and not necessarily because it's, it would be personally offensive or galling to him necessarily, but uh, more along the lines of, you know, he has, you know, the entire justification that he has spun for going to war um, is, you know, that that. Ukraine is a, a puppet of the West and they're full of Nazis um, and, you know, and fascist. And we have to go in and denazify and and um, and uh, demilitarize Ukraine. So I think that the downside of, of posing it that way and they have posed it as essentially an existential threat to Russia itself um, 
is that there's no backing down from there, right? You can't negotiate with Nazis, right? That's that's appeasement. That's that's Munich, 1937, right? So you can't once you once you call them Nazis and say this is an existential threat and it's such a big deal that we're going to war, you can't sort of back you know backtrack on that. And so I think in some cases, uh, you know, Putin is kind of you know painted himself into a corner when it comes to sort of you know how you would one would want to get out of these these areas. I think on that side, you know, it would be very, very difficult for him to do so. Uh, but at the same time, I think he's also very much he's a political pragmatist. Um, and so, you know, if, if there's a way out, if he sees that he needs a way out, um, you know, he can end this tomorrow if he wanted to. Uh, <laughs> he's the only one who could, I believe. Um, and so the, the question is, you know, why doesn't he? And, and what's the impetus for continuing this war on, uh, even as the, um, you know, the casualties are, uh, are, are piling up. Uh, that is, you know, uh, probably an answer that I don't have. I, you know, I don't have that, you know, direct link into his, his brain. I don't have like a Vulcan mind meld you know, with Vladimir Putin. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult for him to, you know, accept defeat um, unless there's some way that he can spin it as, as a victory. Um, you know, if there's something that, you know, he can claim uh, was ultimately victorious, if there was a negotiated settlement uh, and, you know, Zelensky agreed uh, that he would, you know, keep out of NATO. Well, that would be something that's, you know, that the, that the Russian side could could take away and say, well, that was our aim all along. We've achieved our aim. Let's go home. Uh, but then there's also the question of will they actually go home at this point? Um, or will they try to occupy some of the territories in the south and the east uh, that they have already occupied at this point? Do you think a year from now he's still president? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always it's always tough to try to predict the future, right? And it's something I try to stay away from. I had a, a, an advisor uh, back in the day who, uh, whenever he was asked about you know what's going to happen in the future, he, he would remind us that you know in Dante's Inferno there's a circle of hell with prognosticators with their heads ripped around backwards, always looking at their false prophecies. So, and I don't want to end up like that, right? So, so I'd be, you know, take everything with a great assault when it comes to this. Um, however, there are a lot of people who are, you know, penning, there's, there's kind of a, 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 a sort of a cottage industry these days of op-ed pieces um, on, you know, is, is this the beginning of the end of Vladimir Putin? Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, there's a lot of reason for that, right? I mean, there's, a, there's, a, this is sort of, um, you know, unparalleled pressure on Putin and his entire regime, the entire system that's been built around. Um, and so it's hard to see, uh, you know, how you could save face and sort of maintain power amongst all that. Um, however, I would also warn that, you know, Putin has been around for 22 years and he's a pretty crafty guy. He knows the system that he built inside and out. Uh, he knows how to stay in power. Um, and I've said this to, uh, you know, to some of these people who, who pen these op-eds, you know, that, you know, is this the beginning of the end of Putin? Uh, and I remind them, some of these, these Russia watchers, that, uh, you know, you wrote the same headline, is this the beginning of the end of Putin, when there were anti-Putin protests in 2012? And you wrote, is this the beginning of the end of Putin in 2008 with the global financial crisis? And you wrote this in 2004 with, you know, it, it's just been written so many times and Putin never seems to die. I just said as, as, a, as a statistical matter, you know, the, the better money would be, the safe money would be to say, no, this is not the beginning of the end of Putin, um, because that way you're only ever wrong once, as opposed to being wrong every single time this question comes up. So 
Um, so, you know, my money is that he sticks around uh, and, and, you know, is, is able to, you know, maintain power. Um, but, but again, uh, the, the track record on those is, uh, is, is not particularly great either. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.